And NFT is essentially only technology which allows to store singular information, which is unique, which is immutable if you want to, with certain smart contracts that features onto a decentralized ledger, such as, for example, the Ethereum blockchain. That's all it is. The cultural relevance comes from elsewhere. The cultural relevance comes from the fundamental emotions that your brand is addressing, emotions or needs, with your core product. And I think one way how we approach it is to really go and understand that better. For example, if I take insurance, you might think the product is you buy an insurance which protects you in the case of a certain event that you want to be protected against. But you can go even one level deeper and say it's about buying psychological safety, which is a basic human need. So how can you take that and then translate that into other use cases? Because to be honest, Web3 is now such a wild, wild west out there. There's not a lot of psychological safety in this world. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 89 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and today's guest is Thibault Murray. In our last episode, we spoke to Diego Borgo, a metaverse and NFT strategist who's worked on projects like Adidas's Into the Metaverse and Salesforce's NFT Cloud. This week, we have Tibor, managing director and partner at BCG, global co-lead on the metaverse, an expert on data-driven on data-driven transformation, as well as technology, media, and telecommunications. In this episode, Tibor shows how he went from bootstrapping his own freestyle brand in Switzerland to working at BCG for the past eleven years. Specifically, we dive deep into the metaverse. How did BCG prepare to meet the Web three needs of its clients internally? What are the key components of a metaverse? Should Oh, companies be thinking about having a metaverse strategy? How can companies mitigate the potential risk of jumping into this new space? What does it mean to be authentic as a brand? How can brands think about giving ownership over their IP to customers? What are the upcoming trends? And what are the lowest risk ways for companies to dabble in this space? We cover all this and more in this episode. So if you're a brand interested in developing a Web3 strategy, or if you just want to know how a consultant thinks about the companies they are entering the metaverse, then this is the episode for you. But before we kick off, if you have been enjoying past CME episodes, I'd love it if you could head to the platform that you're listening to this podcast on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, the website, or even YouTube, to leave a review. Every review does help this show to grow, and it also helps me to understand what kind of content that you would like to get more of. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. I grew up in Switzerland, actually in a rather small village with more cows than people. I'm the oldest of four brothers and sisters. And when I was a child, I was much into sports. I really liked skiing and snowboarding in wintertime. In summertime, I would play water polo, which was a sport I really liked. So that's a little bit, you know, my upbringing because in Switzerland. I noticed that you actually were a co-founder before you became a consultant. You started this Swiss freestyle label called Virgo Wear. So were you from an entrepreneurial family? What was it like? Well, I mean, the story behind WorkAware is actually a funny one. I founded the WorkAware together with two other friends of mine. We were sitting at a table, having a beer, 
And then we together decided to found a new freestyle label. Each of us put a hundred Swiss francs on the table. And with 300 Swiss francs, that was our starting capital. That was really bootstrapped. So if people talk to me about bootstrapping, I have been there. That's all it took to get started back then. What were the milestones? Because you end up running it for five years. That's a really long time to be bootstrapping something. I mean, the purpose behind it was all of us were some sort of either skater or snowboarder or free skier. And so we wanted to create a new brand, which really reconnected with the original spirit of freestyle. Back then, many of the older brands like Burton or Quicksilver and so on, they have already moved into adjacency, right? They started producing shirts or types of designs that were no longer, in our view, connected to this original way of freestyle. So we wanted to bring something back there. As I said, we started out by just creating the first designs. My younger brother, he actually came up with the initial design. So we essentially were just producing the t-shirts in a local t-shirt shop that were ordered. Some of the milestones were that as this grew, we outsourced already back then the production to India and then Africa. And we were producing already back then sustainably. We were one of the very first ones. By now, I think the industry has progress. Another milestone was that we even won an award in one of the larger German uh, freestyle sports awards. And so at the peak, I would say we were present in 11 shops across Switzerland. Wow. And I noticed that after you founded this, you ended up being a consultant at BCG. Isn't that an unusual switch? Because normally people would spend, say, two years as a consultant and they think, okay, enough with the slide decks, time for me to try something in the real world. So how did that transition happen? Yeah, again, it wasn't a big, big plan to stay with BCG then for 12 years or whatever. The story was, I was doing a startup on the side. I was still finishing my studies. And so were my two co-founders. We reached a certain level where in order to get to the next level, we would have had to put in more time and resources. So what I did is when I got the offer from BCG, I postponed the offer for another six months. I said, I'm going to take the time and see, can we make it work with Virgil? Can we see a perspective? But I also timed myself and said, if I don't see that perspective after six months, I accept the offer. And as you can see, I'm with BCG. So that's how it turned out to be. But then at BCT, again, it was always this kind of two-year horizon or even one-year horizon. Somehow the roles kept evolving, the topics kept changing, and that's why I guess I'm still around. And I believe one of your most recent roles is as global co-lead of Metaverse. Metaverse is actually not a new concept for us since the snow crash, but everyone's talking about it now. And I wonder, before we dive into all that, how did you first get into Web3 yourself personally? I think my journey into the metaverse or in, into Web3 started on the personal side. I'm also an investor in a couple of startups. I never quit the startup world completely. So I'm still, you know, was connected, had a couple of business ideas myself, and now I'm in a position that I can also invest. I invested in a virtual reality company already three years back. And that was essentially my entry into the metaverse before it, it was all hype and, you know, growing in the past eight months. And so when that happened about eight months ago and Mark Zuckerberg decided to rename Facebook Meta, I was already one of the few people at BCG that took quite some stuff in that area. We then kind of pulled together these different pockets of knowledge around crypto, around NFTs, around immersive technologies, around gaming, and really have an amazing group of people that then started doing more and more of this work. 
How does an entity like BCG come together and say, okay, there's this new rising industry that's coming. We need to be prepared for it. How do you come up with that entire structure in your company? I mean, to some extent, we don't. It's not like BCG is a top-down driven organization where CEO identifies Ling or Tibor has to do metaverse. I think the power of BCG is maybe in the name, it's the group, right? We are a group of people. We're very diverse. And there's just a lot of motivation of people around the world that want to try stuff. And so when I got more into leading the topic together with great colleagues, I was just looking at what we've been doing. And yes, maybe we did not call it Web3 back then, but we did prepare already for the past five years. We have been doing VR, AR, immersive technologies for the last six years. And so now these pieces kept being put together and combined with a culture BCG that is about helping out each other and coming together. I think that's what really then brought together this energy that we see today. There must have been a trend that you noticed. What was that trend when you were pulling together all this different knowledge and projects that you were involved in? If I pick out the example, they're very similar on the crypto side or on the VR, AR side. I think it all starts with a couple of crazy guys or gals that believe in that and see a little bit further beyond the horizon. A very good friend of mine who has been doing crypto for probably four years now at BCG, in the beginning, he had to defend himself and say, is this just all scammed? We should not be talking about this to our clients and so on. But he, he kept going at it. And now suddenly the tides have shifted. And similarly, the same goal is true for VR. I mean, we started testing out VR collaboration already two and a half years ago at BCG internally. And it was starting as a small group and so on. But having now done two and a half years of these trials and rollouts, puts us into a prime position of helping our clients look into it. I love that you brought up the word metaverse because that's something I'd love to talk about more. As mentioned earlier, it's not a new concept. Many people have talked about it. This new competitive technology for a metaverse theme park. But I feel as though there are so many different definitions of what a metaverse is and what constitutes a metaverse. How would you define it? What are those key components? That is one of the first questions everybody asks, and it's a relevant one. Yeah. When we looked at it, we also did some research. We also published a report about it. Is that a hitchhiker's guide? Yeah, exactly. The corporate hitchhiker's guide to the middle rest. So if you look at our report, we have this framework where we say, you know, there are all these buzzwords flying around. People talk about Web3, NFT, crypto, and so on and so forth. Essentially, when we look at it closer, we identified three quite distinct technologies which are emerging at the same time. We have on one side, this cluster around Web3, the evolution of the internet, largely driven by decentralization, decentralized ledger technologies such as blockchain, on top of which other use cases like NFTs, like DAOs, like cryptocurrencies and so on are running. There's a whole ecosystem and probably another entire set of rabbit holes right there in that technology. So the second part is this cluster around immersive technology, such as augmented reality. So displaying three-dimensional digital information or objects into your vision of the real world, usually done through either semi-transparent glasses, or for example, like holding your tablet or phone using that camera, or virtual reality, which means fully closing you off from the real world. And what we see here is that these two quite separate vectors that were separate in the past with different types of devices and players are converging now, faster than we anticipated. So even 
the current headset of MetaQuest Quest 2, which is the best sold headset with now red numbers of the already 15 million units sold, capable of mixed reality. So you have a pass-through mode where you see the real world. Yes, it's grainy and it's black and white, but you have some sort of mixed reality features where you can switch seamlessly between an augmented reality and a virtual reality mode. And the next headset of Meta we already have full color and the full HD passion capabilities. And so that will enable now a host of new use cases around mixed reality. So that's an entire field. And in the third area, we call so-called meta worlds. So essentially persistent social spaces where dozens, hundreds, thousands, and maybe at some point, millions of people can meet, interact, transact. And some of these meta worlds, they come from the gaming world, such as the Fortnite, the Roblox of this world. But there are some newer ones like the Sandbox, Somnium Space, or Decentraland that run on-chain. That's the third area. I think the key message here is today, these are quite separate worlds. So, so that's, I think, clear. It's not necessarily the same person that plays Roblox that is holding an NHT of a board ape and is using VR all the time. But... The intersections exist today and they are growing. And already today, there are valid use cases for each corporate to look into in each of these different areas that they can extract value from. I imagine that lots of companies are eyeing what's happening in the world. As you mentioned, all these different use cases and coming to you saying, I want an empty strategy. I want a metaverse strategy. How do you respond to that? How should companies be thinking about this? I think one thing must be clear to every company. Not every company wants or can be a builder of the metaverse, right? So I think there are certain companies that have the ambition to be a builder, either because they have been a builder of Web 2.0 or they want to become a builder because they have missed out on that. And so these are typically, of course, tech companies, the telco operators that at least provide connectivity associated to it, or your media companies that have been running, you know, experiences on top of Web 2 and are thinking about that. I think the question first is, do you want to become a builder of these new worlds? And even if you don't want to become a builder, you have to think about to what extent you become an adopter of this technology. It's a little bit like with the internet. Not every company became a Google or, or a Facebook or an Amazon in the 90s. But at some point, every company had to have a website. Many companies had to build an app or have some sort of e-commerce and so on and so forth. And so that's going to be quite similar in the metaverse. And so it is worth looking into what it is how it translates into relevant use cases for you as a company, and what is your strategy to then either build or adopt the metaverse going forward. So setting aside those who are building, would it be right to say that eventually we're heading into a world where if you're running a business, you have to adopt the metaverse in some form or manner? And I say that oh, because... Yeah. Absolutely. That's so interesting because I was talking to another founder recently in the States and she was saying, I tried to fundraise. And every single person came to me and said, what's your Web3 strategy? And her thought at the time was, sometimes certain businesses don't need a Web3 strategy. Do you agree with that? It doesn't sound like you do. No, I don't. But to some degree, you could even say, not having a Web3 strategy is also a decision, right? I would compare it a little bit like saying, you don't need to have a climate change strategy. I think no person in his or her right mind would agree to that. <laughs> Different companies need to have different types of climate change strategy. Of course, yeah, it is more relevant to some companies than to others. And similar is true to Web3. But I think having that first level of conversation doesn't have to be a full project, right? It can be simply educational in nature, understanding what it is about, and then make a judgment call and say, I at least understand what it is. And I 
took a judgment call not to act on it or not to act on it now, or to act on it in this shape and form is, I think, an exercise every sound leader of any company should do. When I was speaking to other strategists in the area, they said that one of the reasons companies are hesitating to jump in is because of the risk inherent, because they have spent decades building this brand. If they do it wrong, then the entire world is going to hear about it. How, in your opinion, can companies think about mitigating potential risk and jumping to this completely new field? So the risk is real, I must say, because especially if you talk about Web3 or blockchain, and you're talking about some of the permissionless public blockchains, whatever you do on blockchain will stay there forever and will be transparent to everyone. So I think that needs to be clear. There are other use cases you can have blockchains. To be honest, you don't need to have a blockchain for every use case. I think that's the other key thing. It's just because we have new hammers, not everything has to be a nail. <laughs> so that's also one of our mantras when we do these projects is we really go to the strategy level and say, what is it you want to achieve? Even in your today's business, and how can these new technologies around metaverse help you achieve that goal? I think this is how it should be about. And I think the other thing is there is so much hype now that there is also a lot of profiteering and charlatanry in the market. Every company, every business person, including myself, gets approached daily by dozens of freelancers, agencies that say, you need to do an NFT drop, you need to do something with blockchain, you need to do something metaverse whatever that might mean. And many fall into that trap of FOMO, fear of missing out is real. Everybody is confronted, even companies. But I think what we see almost now is some of the very early adopters that have done something, they have been burned. They are not happy with the quality they've received. They are not happy with the results. And that's where, let's say, some of the players come to us and say, how can we now really make something valuable for our customers and also with a positive return on investment? I wonder if you would give an example of, say, a company coming in and how they could think through the kind of strategy they could implement to ensure that they do give value to their customers and they don't actually lose the customers along the way. Because there are certain companies who try to implement an NFT strategy. Their own employees are the ones rioting, saying, this is ridiculous. I refuse. I'm not on board with this. And then you have other companies who implement an NFT strategy and their customers are the ones who rise up and say, I refuse to accept this. And they take it down within a couple of days. Yeah, so I think what is really clear is NFT is a good image. I think NFT is not a solution. It's just a tool, right? And NFT does not create community. NFT becomes tools for existing communities to become closer knitted together. And so I think companies, they need to go to the core of their brand, to the core of their customers, what drives them, and the core of the community. And then translate that and say, how can I migrate this core into the Web3 world? And so one example of a company, I cannot say the name, but it was a luxury company we worked for. They said they're not in there for the hype. They don't want to be the first to do something, but they really want to do something which is meaningful to them and meaningful to the customers. And so they really went into their core of their brand and said their brand stands for luxury, handcrafted materials, scarcity, high quality. And they were then saying, you know, how can I preserve this brand value, but when I do things in, in the metaverse or in Web3 and to be fully transparent, one of the big debate was which of these platforms offer a high quality, luxurious experience. And to be honest, some of these platforms out there, they don't, they are pixelated. They are not high definition. They might not be accessible through VR and if they are. It is, again, not a very luxurious experience. So that takes quite some knowledge to say, what are the right, let's say, hammers to my nails? 
Are there any examples that not necessarily are your clients that you think have done a great job in implementing the metaverse into the astrology? I mean, I love the fact that you brought up luxury because so many companies are doing amazing things. Like there's the Gucci Garden experience, there's Louis Vuitton, their Porter. They are doing such interesting things. And like you obviously bought an artifact as well. So I wonder if there are any particular examples that would allow people listening to better understand what you're talking about and how yeah. the company's implemented. So, you just mentioned Nike buying artifacts. What I personally find quite interesting is really the degree of depth that they go to. So in the end, and I mean, this is true for any kind of fashion company. The reason why you were what you were and I were what I were has very little to do with the fact that we are essentially monkeys with little hair that need to keep warm. We are wearing that because it shows that we want to display parts of our personality through fashion, right? And this is one of the basic core attributes of fashion, so to speak. That holds true also for digital objects and digital fashion. And Nike and other, also like Adidas and so on, there are some consumers they buy fashion or kicks, not necessarily to wear them all the time, but also just to collect them, to display them. That is something that an NFT can do very well. And to be honest, can, an NFT, there's a lot of talk about sustainability, but an NFT is probably is more sustainable than buying a shoe or even buying fashion just to show it on Instagram, for example, right? So that's one part of the equation. But like now with the Nike acquisition of Artifact, they are really making interesting use of some of the features NFT has. So there's obviously Artifact, they were launching their first set of NFTs, first collections called Clone X. I must be honest, I did not have Clone X. So the hindsight is 2020. I bought some other NFTs, but I was actually in the Discord chat of the Clone X community when the news hit that Nike bought Artifact. And you could imagine how, how, you know, explosion. <laughs> yeah, it's exploded. And then, you know, they used this to then say, you know, they were then creating their first collection. So existing Clonix folders would get a now listed is now the correct term for the first Nike collection. They would then get certain NFT assets, which would then later grant them additional products in the real world. Then you have to now continue that story that they launched actually a sweater hoodie with a QR code on it that again unlocks additional augmented reality features when you see that person. I think what I like about this is that it's not a one-off. There is a story behind it. It is very close to the brand of Nike, and they are using that as a means to continue playing that lifestyle community type story in the Web3 world. So that's an interesting example to look at. Would you say that Nike has succeeded because, and this is something I noticed that your colleague has also mentioned, that they are winning because of their cultural relevance. What does that mean? How do companies figure out what this cultural relevance is? Yeah. And that's again, going back to my point, an NFT does not generate cultural relevance per se. An NFT is essentially only technology which allows to store singular information which is unique which is immutable if you want to with certain smart contracts features onto a decentralized ledger such as for example the ethereum blockchain that's all it is the cultural relevance comes from elsewhere the cultural relevance comes from the fundamental emotions that your brand is addressing emotions or needs with your core product and I think one way how we approached is to really go and understand that better. For example, if I take insurance, you might think the product is you buy an insurance, which protects you in the case of a certain event that you want to be protected against. But you can go even one level deeper and say, it's about buying psychological safety, which is a basic human need. 
So how can you take that and then translate that into other use cases? Because to be honest, Web3 is now such a wild, wild west out there. There's not a lot of psychological safety in this world. So it's no safety, no regulation. There's no safety. But, you know, how can maybe insurers think about where is there a pocket where they can bring that relevant service to that space? Then the question turns into how do I do it? And then maybe you get into a more technical discussion. Do I do it through some sort of a crypto product? Or do I do something in a different type of use case? That's going to how you turn it around. Are there particular use cases you don't mind sharing where companies have not done a good job and it serves as a warning, don't follow what they've done? As you understand, we do not like to call out individual companies because we are essentially supporting some we don't. But as I said, I think the examples that were not successful are essentially where really you would do things that are not connected at all with your brand. So if you're like some sort of a consumer goods company, maybe that is producing some sort of edible goods and you just launch an NFT collection, you just drop it and you don't have any story behind it. Just say, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's a bit like, okay, why would I do it? What's the utility behind it? I think some other elements is if you do it, but you are not going all the way in terms of the web three culture. I have seen some drops where companies would be dropping NFTs, but they are not on any blockchain. You would buy them with your credit card. And there is also not a real utility or community behind it. Yes, maybe they launch a Discord chat and they hire somebody who does funny games and community stuff, but it's kind of, okay, what's the whole point? It doesn't mint out. There is no value appreciation. There's no utility. I have traversed stories where then essentially the next collection they're doing or the next drop is essentially only to finance the running costs of the existing one. And so that's not what this should be about. Do you see a story of companies, they don't do a good job the first round? They've basically lost the trust of their customers. Is it possible to regain it? I think, well, other thing I just want to also be clear, it is okay to fail. And I think many things will have to fail. What I keep telling companies is, as you approach this, you need to think about it in a portfolio approach, right? There should be a little bit of strategy work there to really understand it and translate it into use case and then decide what to do. But you should also not overthink this. You should start stuff, right? But I would recommend doing a portfolio of things because if you do five things, what I can tell you is that out of these five things, two things will work more or less like you would expect it. Two things will fail miserably. And one thing will work much better than you anticipated. The issue is I cannot tell you which is which. This is why you need to try multiple things. But I think as long as you stay authentic and that's all core, the other thing is, as soon as you go into launching things publicly on blockchain, I think you better be quite sure about what you're doing and with whom you're doing it with, because that will stay forever on chain. Hey there. If you're enjoying this episode so far, would you consider buying Steamia Coffee? You can find the link in the show notes and description of this episode. Every coffee would be much appreciated and helps Steamia to grow. Now let's get back to this episode with Thibault Murray. When you say authentic, how do you measure authentic? What is it? Do you make sure that you're always on Twitter, always on Discord? I think in the end, being authentic is if you are honest. If you're also honest about things you do not know. I think what is not authentic is, for example, people saying they have it all figured out, whether they are an expert on anything here. I mean, nobody has a six-year degree in Metaverse. Nobody has done 10 years of Web3 consulting. 
And some people claim that, yeah, maybe you have done 10 years in blockchain, or maybe you have done 20 years in VR, but nobody has all the pieces that come together. It has to be authentic by admitting what you don't know. I think the other thing is that you really immerse yourself in this culture. I mean, there's a whole set of, let's say, code words or hashtags that this community is made up of. It's a lot about decentralization and helping each other out. A lot of collaboration we are doing is with startups, with individual people, with sometimes even companies that we would consider competitors of ours in other fields. But in the end, it's all about sharing, about being open and using these new tools the way they are supposed to be used. Before we go into the whole sharing and openness, transparency, interoperability, I want to go back a little bit to what you mentioned earlier about how certain NFCs don't have any utility no community, founding team probably is in docs. The funny thing I found about this Web3 community is that sometimes people love to sort of like, this is precisely what they are into, like Goblin Town. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Completely contrary against everything you have imagined and they really sort high. Of course I've heard of them. Yeah, again, I'm not saying it has to have some sort of economic value or that being utility. You know, having a community of people that are like-minded and share the same sense of humor, that can be also utility in itself. So I think that's a little bit like entertainment or art. Art is, I think, a great example. There's nothing that you can debate as long as what is art. Is this a nice picture or not? Is this, you know, provocative or not? The same is true for NFTs, right? But in the end, that is something that the community needs to make up. I think where it becomes authentic is if you are clearly a company that wants to make profits and you're just kind of greenwashing or web three washing your brand in order to be considered hip, right? It might work out because yeah, you might have dropped an NFT, but is it really adding to your brand equity? I think that's a big question to be answered. We talked about success earlier, and I wonder if you have any advice in terms of how do you measure the success of being in web three? I was speaking to another person recently. Same McDonald's, they said they smashed their KPIs, but they are basically using Web2 KPIs. My retweets, likes, comments, that doesn't sound quite sufficient for the Web3 world. And I wonder how you think about that. It will depend on the personal or corporation or organization you're talking to. And that's again why you need to really go back to the strategy and say, what defines success for you? If you are a publicly traded company, you might have to have some sort of a triple bottom line, right? You have to have the total shareholder return. There are other stakeholders and there might be some climate change targets that you need to fulfill. And so how does your activity in Web3 ultimately help you with that? That should be the broad pitch. Now, the other thing that is also there is many of these use cases don't have a big return today, right? In its early days. But there is a certain option value in getting acquainted today with these technologies, similarly, like in the nineties, it was already very useful for some of the corporations to think about internet and not all of these players that were early were the ones that became the biggest. But what is clear is that somebody who was late definitely did have a disadvantage in that whole internet and digitization era. When we talk about sharing openness, the concept of ownership is so integral to what's happening right now. And I wonder how companies that think about that, for instance, the concept of doubt is completely turning how corporations are thinking about the idea that you can now use my brand anywhere you wish and commercialize it and keep the revenues. It's just something that's completely not done before. How should companies think about this in terms of just giving out their IP and how much they should give to their customers who would then be even more invested, arguably, in the main brand itself? Yeah, you are now raising quite a couple of interesting concepts. So I think one is 
the tokenization or fractionalization of IP, which can be a brand, but it can be other types of IP. The other thing is organizing essentially in the form of a decentralized autonomous organization, like so in a DAO, which in the end is very much like the fractionalization of work, right? So today, work in many fields is a one or zero question. Either you work at a company 100% of your time or 80% or sometimes less, or you don't, you don't employee. Yes, there are certain industries, like for example, the IT industry where freelance work is quite prevalent, quite running down, but even there you are still dedicated at least for a duration of the project. And DAO really allows you to have on one side the fractionalization of your efforts. So you can be part of multiple DAOs, but you are doing so not under the terms of an employment contract, but rather as a stakeholder in the truest sense of the world. The other thing is you really have this decentralized model of governance and ownership. Right. And so again, here, if I stay on the DAO side for a second, I think organizations should ask themselves in which parts of my business could such a DAO make sense? It could be areas to look out for, it could be areas where there is a benefit of tapping into a quite diverse set of outside stakeholders or organizations that would otherwise be difficult to get in the traditional type of contracting or employment status. And it can be also where these types of players see a benefit in a governance mechanism, which is not requiring centralized trusted entities, where you can essentially build governance into a smart contract and you can run it on a chain and where also the remuneration is maybe done through that. Those would be some elements. There's a couple of more of them where you could look out for, and this can be an innovation, let's say I want to tap into innovation. It can be some sort of, let's say, a gig economy, but on a different type of model. So these could be elements where DAO could be interested to look in. The other thing with the IP, again, is a quite interesting. There are examples of this, like for example, the franchise model. This is, this is something which has been around for quite a long time. It is a mechanism to, again, Amplify your brand under certain restrictions. You cannot do everything if you're a franchisee, but you can now essentially bake the similar mechanism into a smart contract in an NFT, for example, say what levels of commercialization, what type of royalty sharing is allowed with that NFT or with that asset. And you can use it now with these new technologies. Speaking of DAOs, just before we move on, are there particular DAOs that you think are doing a very interesting job that people could look to it as inspiration for their own? I just watched the latest video of uh, Vitalik Butlerin, which is essentially the DAO behind the Ethereum blockchain, the initial one. That is quite interesting. We have now competing blockchain, right? So there are newer blockchains out there. There are blockchains which are public, permissionless, and there are permission ones now, there are some climate ones coming up. There's a lot of talk now around Ethereum. We're going through now a couple of changes, like the merge, then all the other urges, like urges, merges, urges. Yeah, exactly. Now you could obviously come with all these arguments to say, oh, this is so complicated and it's risky and so on and so forth. That is all true, but I still think it is admirable also not only what they're doing, but how they're doing it, right? So I think that is going to be interesting. It is one of the big debates to what extent decentralization is actually necessary or good or required. And it's true for many things, centralized organizational processes are much more efficient in you know, innovating stuff and building stuff. But I still do think that, especially for many of the things that are being built and that will shape society, it can have a lot of opportunities as opposed to the more centralized ways Web 2.0 was, was built. 
what do you think we can expect in the future? What kind of trends are coming our way? In general, regarding the metaverse, let us move on. So what excites me a lot is if I go into the immersive technology side of things, there's just so much innovation going to happen. I think if you are looking into what is now being cooked up in the labs of some of these companies in terms of what the next or the next generation of headsets and experiences will look like, it is just stunning. So I think we will pretty soon reach a stage where avatars will be so realistic that you will no longer be able to easily tell the difference between a real person. Amazing, because it truly eliminates geography from the equation for many walks of life. And the other side is also scary, right? How can you be sure it is really Tibor talking to you? And so that will again have a whole set of other mechanisms like identity management, like identity verification, authentication, and so on and so forth that will come into play to actually be proving who are you talking to. And so that's something which is quite interesting. I think we talked a lot about what innovations are, are expecting us on the blockchain side of things. I think, again, people forget that the earliest internet, there were a lot of shortcomings. I mean, I grew up in the era of dial-up internet where I could not go on the internet if one of my brothers and sisters was on the phone, if I would explain this to my daughter, she would not get it. For example, blockchain, there's also a lot of hurdles, like transactions per seconds are nowhere in the realm where they need to be in order to be a viable alternative to some web 2.0 of things. There's a lot of innovation going on early days. And so it's going to be exciting to see what's coming. Hasn't BCG created its own metaverse as well? How has that transformed your own personal workplace? We are experimenting across all different areas. So we are regularly minting NFTs. Sometimes it's for fun, for recruiting events or practice area events. But we're starting to you know, add utility to it. For example, we were minting some NFTs at a recent event. One of these NFTs, you could actually redeem it for a beverage like beer, for example, at the bar. So we had probably one of the world's first beers drafted directly from the blockchain. It's funny, but if you go a bit deeper behind it, there's quite some sophisticated mechanisms to see how can you issue it, how can you verify it, how can you then burn it and change it. Sounds a lot more fun than a POAP for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. And then the other thing, which is really cool, I must say, is the whole VR, uh, AR side of things. I have it always next to me, but I would say every week I am now in multiple uh, virtual reality workshops, more and more of them with clients. And that has become now a standard extension of our toolbox to say, for which types of experiences do we use spatial computing as a means to an end? I want to go first from a personal and company perspective. For someone who's listening, clearly you are very well-versed in what's happening in the space, but they are not. So any advice on people joining the metaverse for the first time? What can they do? Where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. This is such a broad space that education is key. And so how did I start or how do I still learn? Because I am learning as well. I think there's a couple of areas. Obviously, I get a lot of information by following a certain set of people on LinkedIn. There's a growing community and it's a very open community. So there's a lot of help in each other or saying, you know, you should talk to that person so on and so forth. So there's some people you can follow on LinkedIn. I think there's also the topic of Discord chats. There's a couple of Discord chats that you can go into. What I always recommend is selecting a little bit of money and trying things out. It should be not more money than you will be willing to lose. It's a bit like going to a casino. You should never play with more than you can afford to lose. But go out and experience it. Buy a couple of NFTs and join the Discord community of that NFT. Choose something that you like from a community. It doesn't have to be the biggest investment of the world, but then just experience how what is it means to be part of that. 
then you will get an hour listed maybe for another drop. There will be a certain feature that's how we learn a lot. And similarly for VR, AR, either you can rent out such a device in almost every city on the planet. There is some sort of virtual reality cafe where you can go and play some games. Try it out. Then if you go a bit deeper into it, I also start reading a lot of books. So I have, for example, here, you mentioned it, there's Smoke Crush. I don't know if you can see it. There's Ready Player Me, which is, I think, a great book to get started. There's a couple of others which get a bit more technical, but I'm more than happy to share in the link a couple of recommendations along these lines. That'd be amazing. I will add all those links as well to the show notes. What about for companies? What are the lowest risk ways for companies to sort of dabble in this space and figure it out? For companies, the same thing holds true. Identify a set of people that are passionate about it. Because a lot of these new technologies, there will be two types of people. The skeptics, they will always find a reason why it is not there yet. Why the avatars don't look good enough. Why the headsets are too clunky. Why blockchain is not the right solution for a problem. These are people that see the shortcomings first. But then there are the others, which are the optimists. They say, hey, I know this is not perfect, but I see the potential and I'm excited by it and I want to learn. And so I think identify a couple of these people who are willing and passionate about it and connect them to each other. And then I think, as I said before, you should do the same thing, but on a bigger scale, you should educate the top management about it. So you should immerse the top management. And that's also a big part of our jobs is when we do strategy work, we try to also infuse some sort of immersion sessions where we take them through some VR experiences. Some of them are just games or ready-made experiences. Some are some custom experiences we have built. We mint NFTs together with C-level executives to understand what it works, how does it work, they need to open a wallet and so on and so forth. So we immerse that. And the last thing is define a budget. It doesn't have to be huge, but it has to be a certain budget to try out things, to launch a couple of pilots, be it internal, be it externally facing and, and be willing to learn. And I think that those would be something I think any company, regardless of size, should be thinking about. Just before we wrap up, how can listeners help you? Is there anything that they can help you with? Oh, absolutely. So first of all, if you are excited about the space and you want to work and do exciting stuff, please do reach out. We are looking for people across different types of backgrounds, obviously on the consulting side where we're helping on the strategy side, but also building stuff. So we are looking for talent from an engineering background, but also from a creative background in our VCGX units where we have the build talent. We're building up codes there. If you're relevant experience or interest, please reach out. That's something that would help me as well. But I think the other thing is let's continue sharing materials. If there's some interesting pilots, new technology examples, that is always interesting to me. I learn as much in these conversations as I give back. And so that's also quite exciting. Just to wrap up, do you feel like you have found your why? That's one of the very big questions in life. I think I'm getting closer to it. What is clear is I have a daughter. And so I do want to genuinely be there for her. So I think I see a lot of the benefits of not having to travel that much anymore. If the metaverse needs technology help me with that, that's already a big plus. Then the other thing is, I think part of my why is helping others journey into these new worlds and technologies and do so in a meaningful way. That is something which drives me, which excites me. So that's becoming a bigger part of my why and why it's also connected to the metaverse work I do. And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? First and foremost, I definitely want to be a good father and hopefully a lifelong friend to my daughter. That's probably the biggest single one. Beyond that, I want to genuinely help 
others fulfill what they want to be achieving in life. Then I can do so in my daily work in business context, but on a personal scale, I maybe help individuals or startups or connect them to somebody. That's a little bit what I'm trying to be remembered for. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? The bubble fit is about authenticity. It is really about finding out what drives you, what really interests you, and then see from that point how you can turn that superpower into a bigger power and then motivate others on that journey. And it's not straightforward. I don't think you can start by this. I think you have to do in the hard work. You have to also expose yourself to different experiences to see where your powers lie. Sometimes your perception of yourself is not reality, right? So test it, get feedback. And as you, you know, then have more and more of this overlap between what really interests you and drives you with what is relevant to others or business or to academia or so, that's, I think, where the magic happens. Don't try just walking in the footsteps of others if you don't be like it. And where can people go to connect with you and find out more about what you and BCG are doing? LinkedIn is a very good channel to reach me. I'm happy to post my link down below. That's probably the, the best way to start with. I can also share at the site where we keep publishing new reports. So for the ones who liked the Hitchhiker's Guide, there's more to come. For the ones who haven't read it, I'm very happy to, to share the link to that one as well. Amazing. And I'll include those links for sure. And is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? Maybe the only last thing is I do think there is tremendous opportunity. Many of them we don't even see yet today. On the other side, I also just want to be cautious that it is not just about the hype. And I think similarly, uh, we are helping brands preserve the core of their brand equity. We also need to preserve the core of humanity as we move into this new world, because there will be also new opportunities to abuse this new technology. And so I certainly don't want to, this to end in a dystopia where I get pop-ups everywhere I go because it's just my field of view and so on and so forth. But I rather want to really have a world where we can preserve the good in people and protect also the more vulnerable ones, the kids and so on, from some of the dangers during this. So that's, I think, the only caveat at the very end they also want to share. And that was the end of episode 89. The show notes can be found at sodoesmywife.com forward slash 89. The show notes also contain lots of links to the books and references mentioned in this episode, including BCG's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Metaverse. So do check it out. And if you've enjoyed this episode and learned anything, can you do me a favor? Could you take a screenshot and share this episode with anyone in your life who might be interested in entrepreneurship, growth, and all things Web3 and Metaverse? I'd love to get this education into the hands or ears of as many people as possible. So if you do me this favor, can you please make sure there's one person in your life who you know will enjoy this content? Here's about seeing me. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we will be meeting the co-founder of one of the world's largest crypto data aggregators, CoinGecko. We talked about how he went from working at a big four audit firm while running CoinGecko as a side hustle with a startup capital of $100, how they scaled organically, the impact that the collapse of Mongots, rise of D5 and acquisition of Binance had on them, and so much more. And in case you didn't really know, this guest is also a Malaysian. It's a great episode, so do stick around, subscribe, and see you next Sunday.